welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Tudor, Certified Lifestyle Medicine Practitioner. My aim is to help everyday people understand science, not the science, and to use that understanding to make better choices for their health and well-being. Each episode, I'll be bringing my latest Substack post to you in audio form. For the full visual experience, including graphs, charts, images, and videos, view the accompanying post in my Empowered Substack. And now, let's dive in. Episode 18, The Strange Tale of Hydroxychloroquine. On the 12th of March, 2022, the Chief Health Officer of Queensland, Dr. John Gerard, revoked a directive issued on the 7th of April, 2020, by the previous Chief Health Officer and now Governor of Queensland, Dr. Jeanette Young, which imposed criminal sanctions, a fine of up to $13,785 or six months in prison, on doctors and pharmacists who prescribed or dispensed hydroxychloroquine for prevention or treatment of COVID-19. In the post accompanying this podcast episode, you can read the original directive that was issued by Young in the very early days of the manufactured COVID crisis. Fortunately, the original directive was preserved on archive.org as it's now been taken down from the Queensland government's website. It's quite a lengthy directive, but here are the relevant parts. I, Dr. Jeanette Young, Chief Health Officer, reasonably believe it is necessary to give the following directions pursuant to the powers under Section 362B of the Public Health Act 2005 to assist in containing or to respond to the spread of COVID-19 within the community. Citation 1. This public health direction may be referred to as the prescribing, dispensing or supply of hydroxychloroquine direction. 2. The purpose of this part is to prohibit the prescribing, dispensing or supply of hydroxychloroquine for the treatment of a person unless it is done in accordance with this direction. 3. These directions apply from the time of publication until the end of the declared public health emergency unless they are revoked or replaced. 4. A prescriber must not prescribe hydroxychloroquine for treatment of a person unless then there's a rather lengthy and detailed series of clauses which essentially serve to limit the prescription of hydroxychloroquine to a very narrow range of specialties. And then section 5. A pharmacist must not dispense or supply hydroxychloroquine unless, again, there's a lengthy set of criteria. And then, after several more clauses, we get to Part 2, Penalties. A person to whom the direction applies commits an offence if the person fails without reasonable excuse to comply with the direction. Section 362D of the Public Health Act 2005 provides failure to comply with public health directions. A person to whom a public health direction applies must comply with the direction unless the person has a reasonable excuse. Maximum penalty, 100 penalty units or six months imprisonment. And it's signed Dr. Jeanette Young, Chief Health Officer, 7th of April 2020. And in the post accompanying this podcast episode, you can also read Gerard's revocation of that directive, which is titled Revocation of Prescribing, Dispensing or Supply of Hydroxychloroquine Direction, a direction from the Chief Health Officer in accordance with emergency powers arising from the declared public health emergency. And it states, I, Dr. John Gerard, Chief Health Officer, reasonably believe it is necessary to give the following direction pursuant to the powers under Section 362B of the Public Health Act 2005 to assist in containing or to respond to the spread of COVID-19 within the community. Revocation of 1. The prescribing, dispensing or supply of hydroxychloroquine direction effective from 7.35pm on the 7th of April 2020 is revoked from time of publication. Signed, Dr. John Gerard, Chief Health Officer, 12th of March 2022. This was published on the Queensland Health website at 9.15am on the 12th of March. 
This revocation was published with little fanfare. A sharp-eyed subscriber to my Substack brought it to my attention on the morning of the 6th of April, thanks Timothy, and that evening the Murdoch-owned Courier-Mail newspaper ran an article on it. Apparently, like Voldemort, hydroxychloroquine gains power from merely having its name spoken. The Courier-Mail could not bring itself to use the word hydroxychloroquine in the headline or lead, euphemising it as, quote, a certain drug, unquote, and then, misleadingly, since it is routinely prescribed for a host of conditions besides malaria, quote, an anti-malarial drug. Unquote. So here's the headline from that Courier Mail article Restrictions that threaten doctors with a $13,000 fine if they prescribed a certain drug revoked. And then the lead a 2020 Queensland Health order banning doctors from prescribing an anti malarial drug and threatening them with a $13,000 fine if they did has been revoked. This is why. Jody Munro O'Brien, the Courier Mail journalist, I use that term loosely for reasons that will soon become evident, who was tasked with reporting the story, simply reiterated the official government narrative that the ban on prescribing hydroxychloroquine for COVID-19 had been instituted because of fears that off-label use for this purpose would lead to, quote, a supply shortage, leaving those already prescribed the drug for other unrelated ailments without their medicine, end of quote. If you're wondering, why didn't the government look for ways to increase the supply of hydroxychloroquine rather than threatening doctors and pharmacists with six months in the slammer or a fine of nearly 14 grand for making it available to sick people, then you're thinking like a journalist. Perhaps you could apply for Ms Munro O'Brien's job, or perhaps not, since the legacy media prefers stenographers to actual journalists. And indeed, the hydroxychloroquine supply problem was promptly solved by Queensland businessman Clive Palmer, who bought 40 million doses of the drug from overseas sources by late April 2020, that is, just a few weeks after Jeanette Young issued the ban, and donated more than 22 million of them to the National Medical Stockpile, before being informed by a Commonwealth Health Department spokeswoman on the 18th of June 2020 that, quote, no further donations were required, end of quote. However, despite these facts having been reported in the very newspaper which employs her, Ms Munro O'Brien simply regurgitated the Queensland Health Spokeswoman's illogical explanation for Gerard's action. A quote from the Courier-Mail article, A Queensland Health Spokeswoman said the revocation of the ban was because there was no longer a supply shortage threat, but the medication was still not approved for COVID-19 treatment. End of quote. Say what? The so-called supply shortage threat was solved almost two years ago, and since off-label prescription of drugs is perfectly legal and universally practiced, accounting for up to 40% of prescriptions for adults and up to 90% in some hospitalised paediatric patients, no approval is required for doctors to prescribe hydroxychloroquine for prevention or treatment of COVID-19. Jeanette Young's criminalisation of the use of hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID-19 patients was just one of a series of unfortunate events that befell this 65-plus-year-old drug that is included in the World Health Organization's model list of essential medicines in the weeks before and in the months after that body, the WHO, declared that COVID-19 was a public health emergency of international concern, P-H-E-I-C, which I presume is pronounced like fake, on the 30th of January 2020. Matthew Crawford has covered the many twists and turns of this gothic tale in the Chloroquine Wars section of his must-read Rounding the Earth substack, but here is a chronology of some of the most significant events. On the 15th of January 2020, 
Two weeks before WHO declared its fake for COVID-19, the French Medical Health Agency rescinded its 2008 authorization of over-the-counter sales of more than 200 commonly used drugs, including hydroxychloroquine, in community pharmacies. The French government's restrictions on prescription of the drug escalated over the ensuing months, prompting the formation of a doctor's collective calling themselves Let Doctors Prescribe to advocate for the restoration of physicians' freedom to exercise their clinical judgment. A representative of the collective, Dr Violette Goran, complained in late March of 2020 that, quote, today there is an escalation of directives aimed at restricting its, that is hydroxychloroquine's, use from the Directorate General of Health, and it remains authorised in the setting where it is the least effective, that is to say, in the intensive care units, end of quote. And that quote was from an article in a French journal which translates as, we want to self-prescribe chloroquine, asks a group of doctors. On the 11th of March 2020, Dr John Gerard treated actor Tom Hanks and his wife Rita Wilson for COVID-19 at Gold Coast University Hospital. No details of the treatment they received have been issued due to patient confidentiality. However, a retrospective observational cohort study of the first 197 COVID-19 patients managed by Gold Coast Hospital and Health Service between February and April of 2020, a paper that was co-authored by Gerard, clearly shows that chloroquine drugs were in use at the time Gerard treated Hanks and Wilson. A quote from that paper, 21 patients received hydroxychloroquine, mean duration of therapy 4.4 days. One patient received chloroquine 5 days. End of quote. 63 patients were hospitalised, only 54 of them for medical reasons, and the remainder for, quote, observation, public health reasons, and social reasons. Five required intensive care admission, and three required intubation. No patients died. No concerns were expressed in this paper about any toxicity of chloroquine drugs. On the 24th of March 2020, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, the TGA, announced that GPs and specialists, except those practicing dermatology, intensive care medicine, pediatrics and child health, physician and emergency medicine, were no longer permitted to prescribe hydroxychloroquine, citing, quote, demand shortages, end of quote, created by use of the drug for treatment of COVID-19 that, quote, pose a serious health risk to individuals currently using this medication, end of quote. Note that TGA did not raise any safety concerns about the off-label use of hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID-19, merely putative supply issues. Also on the 24th of March 2020, the then Governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, issued an executive order barring pharmacists from dispensing, quote, hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, except when written as prescribed for an FDA-approved indication or as part of a state-approved clinical trial related to COVID-19 for a patient who was tested positive for COVID-19, with such test result documented as part of the prescription. No other experimental or prophylactic use shall be permitted, and any permitted prescription is limited to one 14-day prescription with no refills, end quote. In other words, with one stroke of his pen, Cuomo cancelled out physicians' right to prescribe chloroquine drugs off-label and prevented people who were already taking these drugs for FDA-approved purposes from obtaining a sufficient supply to last them through the 100-day shutdown that he imposed four days earlier on the 20th of March. Then, on the 28th of March 2020, the governors of the U.S. states of Michigan and Nevada issued executive orders prohibiting physicians from prescribing and pharmacists from dispensing, quote, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine to patients for the treatment of COVID-19 outside of a hospital, end of quote. 
Both orders cited the same justification as Jeanette Young, the concern that hoarding of the drug by people afraid of contracting SARS-CoV-2 infection would threaten its availability to people taking it for, quote, a legitimate medical purpose, unquote, thus arrogating to themselves and their bureaucrats, most of whom are not licensed medical professionals, the right to decide what constitutes legitimate medical purposes. Furthermore, restricting the drug to hospitalised patients ensured that it could not be used in the early treatment of COVID-19 when its benefits are the most pronounced. On the same day, the 28th of March 2020, the US Food and Drug Administration, FDA, issued an emergency use authorization, an EUA, permitting, quote, emergency use of oral formulations of chloroquine phosphate and hydroxychloroquine sulfate to be distributed from the strategic national stockpile for use in treating people with COVID-19. This implies that there were perfectly adequate reserves of hydroxychloroquine for such purposes, which would have spared the supply available in community pharmacies, thus invalidating the concerns with supply issues that the governors of Michigan and Nevada invoked as the rationale for their executive orders. On the 22nd of May 2020, one of the world's most prestigious medical journals, The Lancet, published a study which claimed to draw on a multinational registry comprising 671 hospitals located in six continents. Analyzing data supplied by the Surgical Outcomes Collaborative, managed by Surgisphere Corporation, which supposedly included over 96,000 patients hospitalized for COVID-19 between the 20th of December 2019 and the 14th of April 2020, the authors concluded that patients treated with chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine, either alone or in combination with a macrolide antibiotic such as azithromycin, had between a 33% and a 45% higher chance of dying than those whose treatment did not include a chloroquine drug, as well as up to triple the risk of developing a potentially lethal type of abnormal heart rhythm called ventricular arrhythmia. There was just one small problem with the Lancet study. The data set was completely fake. Six days after its publication, on the 28th of May 2020, more than 120 researchers and medical professionals published an open letter addressed to the study's authors and the editor of The Lancet, Richard Horton, raising serious concerns about the integrity of the data source, the study methodology and its statistical analysis. And on the 5th of June 2020, Lancet issued a retraction notice in which the study's authors claimed that Surgisphere had denied them access to the full data set for the purposes of independent peer review. No wonder, since the data set simply did not exist. It subsequently emerged that Surgisphere, a company which had claimed to run one of the largest and fastest hospital databases in the world, had only a handful of employees, few of them with any background in data analysis or scientific background. Their science editor was actually a science fiction author and fantasy artist, which does seem oddly appropriate, while their marketing executive worked as an adult model and events hostess. Apparently, neither the authors of the Lancet study, who were led by cardiologist Mandeep Mehra, who is a professor at Harvard Medical School as well as a director at Boston's Brigham and Women's Hospital, nor the journal's editorial and peer review team were capable of discovering these facts for themselves. I'm sure the fact that Mera's employer, Brigham and Women's Hospital, was also running two clinical trials for the drug Remdesivir, which was sponsored by the $1,000 a pill drugs manufacturer Gilead, had absolutely nothing to do with Mera's lapse in judgment. However, despite the retraction, the damage to hydroxychloroquine had already been done. On the 26th of May 2020, the WHO paused recruitment to the hydroxychloroquine arm of its global randomised clinical trial to identify effective treatments for COVID-19 called Solidarity, citing the Lancet study as justification. 
the UK and French regulatory bodies followed suit, halting their national trials of hydroxychloroquine. And while WHO resumed the hydroxychloroquine arm of solidarity on the 3rd of June, two days before the Lancet retraction, recruitment into these trials had become difficult due to the bad publicity. On the 5th of June 2020, the chief investigators of the UK randomised evaluation of COVID-19 therapy, the recovery trial, which received funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Wellcome Trust, reported that they had called an early halt to the hydroxychloroquine arm of the study due to interim analysis of data showing, quote, no beneficial effect of hydroxychloroquine in patients hospitalised with COVID-19, end of quote. This interim analysis was posted on the preprint server MedArchive on the 15th of July 2020 and eventually published in the New England Journal of Medicine on the 19th of November 2020. The New England Journal of Medicine article concluded that COVID-19 patients given hydroxychloroquine were 9% less likely to be discharged from the hospital alive within 28 days than those who did not receive the drug, and 14% more likely to require mechanical ventilation after hospitalisation. And on reading the details of the treatment and dosage schedule, these dismal results are no surprise. The trial was not just set up to fail, it was arguably designed to kill patients. Firstly, treatment began a median of nine days after symptom onset. Hydroxychloroquine works by inhibiting viral replication, which peaks in the first few days after symptom onset and ceases by around the eighth day after onset of symptoms of COVID-19. In other words, by the time patients enrolled in the recovery trial received hydroxychloroquine, it was too late for the drug to provide any clinical benefit to them. Secondly, those randomised to receive hydroxychloroquine were given 800 milligrams of the drug at baseline, another 800 milligrams six hours later, followed by 400 milligrams every 12 hours for the next nine days or until discharge, whichever occurred earlier. In the supplementary appendix, the authors justified this dosage schedule as follows, quote, The hydroxychloroquine dose regimen was based on previous pharmacokinetic modelling of plasma and whole blood hydroxychloroquine concentrations in healthy volunteers, the treatment of malaria and in rheumatological conditions. The choice of dose and predicted safety margins were also informed by pharmacometric studies of chloroquine in the treatment of both severe and uncomplicated malaria and in self-poisoning. But as David Jane, Professor of Clinical Autoimmunity at Cambridge University, pointed out, this dosage schedule does not remotely resemble those used for either malaria or rheumatological disease and substantially exceeds the known toxic dose of hydroxychloroquine. In an article in the British Medical Journal, Jane shared his concerns. And this is a quote from that BMJ article called COVID-19, The Inside Story of the Recovery Trial. Quote, current recommended doses for rheumatologic disease are typically 300 to 400 milligrams per day and the maximum dose for malaria has been 800 milligrams in the first 24 hours. The reasons behind the dose selection in the recovery trial are unclear, he says, he referring to David Jane. Hydroxychloroquine overdose is associated with cardiovascular, neurological and other toxicities occurring with doses over 1500 milligrams and higher doses are associated with fatality. He, once again David Jane, is concerned that hydroxychloroquine toxicity may have contributed to the adverse outcomes and that conclusions based on these results may be unreliable. End of quote. And just a reminder that very ill patients in the recovery trial were given 2,000 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine in the first 24 hours of treatment, well in excess of that dose of 1,500 milligrams, which is known to be toxic. 
On the 15th of June 2020, FDA revoked its emergency use authorization for chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. It cited the early termination of the hydroxychloroquine arm of the recovery trial as one of its principal reasons for doing so. But the press release announcing the revocation revealed that some of the mud flung by the discredited Surgisphere data that wasn't had stuck. Quote, additionally, in light of ongoing serious cardiac adverse events and other potential serious side effects, the known and potential benefits of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine no longer outweigh the known and potential risks for the authorised use, end of quote. On the 19th of June 2020, the hydroxychloroquine arm of WHO's solidarity trial was, quote, discontinued for futility, end of quote. Although WHO only announced that it was terminating the hydroxychloroquine trial on the 4th of July 2020, on the grounds that the drug produced, quote, little or no reduction in the mortality of hospitalised COVID-19 patients when compared to standard of care, end of quote. In fact, the interim results published in the New England Journal of Medicine were that hydroxychloroquine hydroxychloroquine increased the risk of death by 19%. Once again, hydroxychloroquine was administered too late to show benefit. Most patients had already been in hospital for two or more days before treatment commenced, and a toxic dose was administered, 800 milligrams at baseline, another 800 milligrams after six hours, then 400 milligrams every 12 hours for 10 days. In other words, patients received 2,000 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine in the first 24 hours of treatment, once again, well in excess of the dose of 1,500 milligrams that is known to be potentially fatal. And WHO had been alerted that its hydroxychloroquine dosage schedule was hazardous back in May 2020 by the Indian Council of Medical Research, which warned that the dose being used in international trials was four times higher than that specified in the protocol set by the Indian government to treat severe COVID-19 patients requiring intensive care unit management. Low-income nations continue to use hydroxychloroquine for pre-exposure prophylaxis and early treatment with considerable success. And you can see a forest plot depicting the results of those studies, again, mostly conducted in low-income countries, in the post accompanying this podcast episode. However, in rich Western countries, including Australia, the drug's name was now MUD. Other clinical trials which included hydroxychloroquine treatment arms were amended to ditch the drug, including the Australasian COVID-19 trial, known as ASCOT, for which Dr John Gerard was the Gold Coast University Hospital's contact. The National COVID-19 Clinical Evidence Task Force continues to recommend against the use of hydroxychloroquine in any circumstances. It states that, quote, evidence indicates that hydroxychloroquine is potentially harmful and no more effective than standard care in treating patients with COVID-19, end of quote, citing the recovery and solidarity trials as providing the, quote, majority of evidence, end of quote, for its position without acknowledging the fact that these trials used the drug too late for it to be effective and employed a known toxic dose. An open letter sent to Jeanette Young on the 29th of September 2020 by federal MPs George Christensen and Craig Kelly pointing out the flaws in the recovery trial and directing Young to the growing body of evidence supporting the appropriate use of hydroxychloroquine was met by deafening silence, except by ABC fact-checkers, whose intrepid investigation of the controversy consisted of quoting a TGA statement and asking the executive director of the National COVID-19 Clinical Evidence Task Force, Julian Elliott, for his opinion on the MP's claims. Young extended the hydroxychloroquine ban, which had been due to expire on the 2nd of October 2020. 
By this time, the probability that hydroxychloroquine was ineffective for early treatment of COVID-19 was nearing 1 in 1 million, as you'll see in the chart embedded in the post accompanying this episode. After considering all of these facts, several important questions arise. Why did multiple jurisdictions in rich countries impose restrictions on doctors' ability to use hydroxychloroquine for pre-exposure prophylaxis and early treatment of COVID-19 in outpatient settings, all at around the same time, and all citing the same demonstrably false rationale, the concern that supply of the drug to people who are already taking it for non-COVID-related conditions would be compromised, when ample amounts were already in national stockpiles or were quickly obtained? Unless one is a coincidence theorist, this coordination hints at an organised hit job on hydroxychloroquine, a cheap generic that is one of the world's most widely prescribed drugs, with a long history of safe use even in pregnancy and breastfeeding. Why did the Recovery and Solidarity Trials use a dosage schedule of hydroxychloroquine that is known to be toxic and potentially fatal? And why did they restrict the use of the drug to advanced stages of COVID-19 when their own clinical trial protocols made it clear that the researchers understood that its mechanism of action as an antiviral was no longer relevant once patients had passed the viral replication stage? What does Queensland's Chief Health Officer John Gerard know about the use of hydroxychloroquine for treatment of COVID-19? He presided over the Infectious Diseases Department of Gold Coast University Hospital during the first wave of infections in early 2020, when chloroquine drugs were used to treat more than 10% of COVID-19 patients. What are the real reasons for his revocation of Jeanette Young's directive, given that the rationale proffered by the Queensland Health spokeswoman, that there were no longer any supply concerns, is demonstrably false, the supply problem having been solved nearly two years prior, and indeed five months before Young renewed the directive? And finally, why have doctors simply acquiesced to the dramatic erosion of their right to practice medicine, including the right to prescribe TGA-approved medicines off-label? It's a scientific literature provides evidence of potential benefit, which it very clearly does in the case of properly prescribed hydroxychloroquine. I guess the Courier-Mail's hard-hitting journalist Jody Munro-O'Brien will be working tirelessly to get its answers to all these questions any day now. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and on your socials and make sure you subscribe to my Empowered Substack so you never miss a post.